come by him. It is about the, the inestimable privilege, the incalculable privilege of being called a son or a daughter. It's the unbelievable reality that as a Christian, you have Jesus through whom the worlds were made, by whom the worlds are sustained, who is himself God incarnate. You have this Jesus who lived, who died, who was raised. You have this Jesus as your big brother, your elder brother, who defends, who protects, who loves his brothers and sisters deeply in wealth. It is about being in relationship to God, but it's also about being in relationship to one another. And what you see in these last four verses, frankly, is relationships. Uh, Relationships are important. Christianity is about relationship to God, the vertical thing, but it's about horizontal things too. It's It's about one another. It's about each other. And what you get in these verses is, is some names. And, and it's, such a, it's such a wonderful list of names because we don't know very much about any of these people. Don't you love kind of the anonymity of the Bible? I mean, there's, there's something about that. You could, you could sort of preach about that, I suppose, for a long time, the anonymity of the Bible. I mean, it's really all about Jesus. And at one level, human beings do take a sort of a back seat to Christ the reality, Christ the substance, Christ the essence, Christ who is the glory of God and the glory of every Christian. There's a a wonderful aspect of of, uh, the glory of God shining through the anonymity of human beings. But, But this anonymity, I think, is there for another reason. It's so... It's so we ponder things. It's so we, we kind of ask questions. It's so we, we sort of engage in what I would call some, some holy imagination. Gee, I wonder who Zenus was. Gee, I wonder where Zenus went. Golly, I wonder who Artemis was. I, I wonder where he went. Won't it be fun? I use this illustration occasionally for those of you who are a little newer to our church, maybe visiting with us. Use this illustration occasionally. Won't it be fun when we get to heaven to go get in the short lines? Not the long lines for the obvious people, but the short lines for people like Zenus. You wonder how many folks are going to be in line to talk to Zenus. I want to get in that line. I want to find out where he came from. I want to find out where he went. It's about real people. And it's about real places, and it is about the good things. The good things in which real people living in real places are engaged in. Those those three things, three things that come out of this passage, lots of others, but, but those three things this morning. People, real people. Places, real places. And the good things that real people living in real places do for the cause of the gospel. Real people. There actually are six of them in the text. Paul, who has written this letter, we know a good bit about Paul. Paul shows up uh, beginning in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. If you, if you don't know much about Paul, um, you can read Acts because uh, he's there. 
from chapter 8 through the end of the book, and you can read his 13 letters. Uh, if, if some folks are right, maybe 14. Maybe Paul did write Hebrews. Uh, you know, we don't really know because the author of Hebrews remains anonymous. But at least 13 letters, and you can learn an awful lot about Paul. You can learn that he was a Jew. You can learn that he was really serious about his Jewishness. You can learn that he was a passionate defender of his Jewishness, so much so, as most of you know, many of you know, so much so that he actually went into attack mode after the resurrection of Jesus and became a persecutor of the church. You can read about that, little bits of it, snippets of it in Acts, and then snippets of it from his letters. We know a lot about Paul. We know that he was converted. We know that he came to Christ. Come back to that in just a minute. We know a little bit not only about Paul, but we know about Titus, a little bit about Titus. We've been looking at this letter that's written to him. We know that, that Titus, as one commentator describes him, tr Titus was a kind of a crisis intervention specialist. That's how one commentator describes him. He was an associate of Paul. He was from Asia, Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. We don't know exactly where from in Asia Minor, but, uh, but he was a Gentile. Paul a Jew, Titus a Gentile. They traveled all over the eastern Mediterranean basin. You read uh, again, you read the book of Acts, and then you read Galatians, particularly the second chapter of Galatians. You, you realize that Titus, this is important, Titus became a kind of a test case of whether or not Gentiles were going to be received into the church, admitted to the church, without having to satisfy all of the legal demands of the law of Moses, namely circumcision. He became a sort of a test case for that. Paul took him to Jerusalem, took him to the capital city of Jerusalem, or of, of Israel, and took him there as an uncircumcised Gentile, as a test case of whether Gentiles would be received by the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And guess what? The gospel wins. The gospel wins. And Titus is received, as is Paul, as his ministry to the Gentiles has begun to bear fruit, of which Titus is sort of emblematic and representative. So we know something about Paul. We know something about Titus. We know a little bit about Tychicus. He's mentioned in this passage. He's mentioned other places in the New Testament. Acts 20, verse 4, tells us that he's from the province of Asia, again, from what is now Turkey. Ephesians 6, 21, Colossians 4, 7. For those of you who need the references, those passages tell us that Tychicus is a beloved brother of Paul, a beloved brother of Paul, a Gentile convert, beloved brother of Paul brother in the gospel, and that he is a faithful minister of the gospel. And we learn from both Ephesians and Colossians that he, that is Tychicus, visited both of those places. He went to Ephesus and he went to Colossae. Now, Paul says here in verse 12 that either Artemis or Tychicus is going to come to Crete. Well, it looks like, from other things that are said in the New Testament, it looks like it was Artemis who came to Crete because Tychicus went to Ephesus and then to Colossae. Don't know for sure. Maybe he made a little side trip down to, 
down to Crete and then went off to Ephesus. But it looks like Tychicus went to Ephesus and Colossae. Again, Ephesus along the coast of the, the Aegean, just sort of east of Greece, a port city, major Roman city for centuries. And then Colossae, which is about 100 miles almost straight inland from the Aegean in a straight line. It would have been more than 100 miles to walk it. But if you'd been able to fly it, it would have been 100 miles. Straight line inland from Ephesus. Tychicus, it seems, went those two places. But beyond that, we don't know much about him. Apollos, don't know much about Apollos. For sure, uh, we do know that Apollos was from Alexandria. This is probably the Apollos that is referred to in Acts and is referred to in 2 Corinthians. That uh, Apollos, which is probably this Apollos, was from Alexandria, meaning, meaning he's from Egypt. And he shows up uh, as one who, Acts 18 says, is learned and mighty in the scriptures and a passionate and powerful preacher. And Priscilla and Aquila, a couple of other folks we'd like to get to know, you know, their lines might be a little bit longer. We get to know them in heaven as well. well. Priscilla and Aquila, a couple engaged in ministry with the Apostle Paul, they take Apollos under their wing, further instruct him in the truth of the gospel. He then goes to Greece where the scriptures indicate to us that he is powerful, especially in reasoning with Jewish people in the synagogues. That's, that's kind of an important little thing. So there's Apollos. And then here is Artemis. Beyond what is said here, we know nothing about Artemis. And after Artemis, there is Zenus, who is the lawyer and who is an apparent companion here of Apollos. Uh, The commentators are divided. Here's one of those things you just love to sort of engage in some holy contemplation and speculation about. The commentators are divided about whether, whether Zenus the lawyer is an expert in Roman law or Jewish law. Which is it? Well, maybe try to connect some dots since... Apollos was one whose abilities seemed to be manifested in his arguing and debating with Jews in the synagogues regarding the person of Christ and that Christ is the Messiah. You know, maybe it's reasonable to think that that, Art, or that Zenus the lawyer was an expert in Jewish law and that Zenus and Apollos became evangelists with a particular focus, a particular concern for Jewish people to go to the synagogues and continue to reason in the synagogues. Apollos was good at that. Zenos was a lawyer. Maybe he was an expert in Jewish law. They made a great team. We don't know, but it's fun to think about, isn't it? So there you have these people, these six people, Paul, Titus, Tychicus, Artemis, Zenos, and Apollos. Here's the point. Here's the point. All of them were engaged in ministry. All of them were entrusted with the gospel. All of them, this is so significant, so much fun to think about. All of them were links in the gospel chain. Links in the gospel chain. 
Somebody said to me just this last week, everybody who talks with another person about the gospel has a downline. Has a downline. You know what a downline is? A downline is the people who are connected to the person who first talked with them about the gospel. The next person, and then the next person after that, whom the first person may not know, and then the next person after that, and the next person, and the next person, so that down the line, there are virtually unknowable and incalculable numbers of people who are Christians because somebody who was entrusted with the truths of the gospel talked about it. Talked about it. That's what these six guys are. They're links in the chain. They're notorious in some cases. Paul was. They're virtually unknown, and as is the case with Artemis, but they're all links in the chain, just as we are here. There was a link in Paul's chain. You ever think about that? There was a link in Paul's chain. Paul's story is a little unusual. Paul got knocked off a horse. Paul saw visions. Paul heard voices. Of course people would think he was crazy. But after he was knocked off his horse, after he heard voices, after he got back up on his feet and was blind, Acts tells us that he was led by the hand to Damascus. And do you know where he ended up? This is so ironic and crazy. He ended up at the house of a guy named Judas. Amazing. The house of a guy named Judas on a street called Straight. Straight Street. 1297 Straight Street, Damascus. The house of Judas. And Acts 9 tells us that the link in the chain for the Apostle Paul was a guy named Ananias. And Ananias had a vision as well. And the vision was, the word to Ananias was, go to the house of Judas, who lives on Straight Street, 1297 Straight Street, and there you will find a man named Saul. And you are to speak to him and talk to him. I have set him apart to be a herald of the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, what does Ananias say? You have to be kidding. The text in Acts chapter 9 tells us that Ananias is a disciple. He is a follower of Christ. He's heard the story. You've got to think he's heard the whole story. You've got to think he's heard about Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and now he's going to go to the house of Judas. What an irony that is. What an arresting thing that is. You have to think, in fact, it's very clear from the text in Acts chapter 9 that Ananias has heard of the Apostle Paul because he says, this is the guy who is persecuting Christians and he's come here to Damascus with letters from people back in Jerusalem intent upon destroying the church and you want me to go to him. And then the Lord says, don't sweat it, don't worry about it. I've set him apart and he will be a herald of the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. And so Ananias does the thing that God commands him to do. And he is the link in the chain at the human level. He goes. He lays his hands on the apostle Paul. He speaks peace to him. He speaks the gospel to him. Ananias is entrusted with it. 
And he's the first link for the Apostle Paul. He is the link for the Apostle Paul that connects him to the church, to the realities of the gospel, so that Paul becomes the link in the chain for who knows how many thousands of people. Isn't that wonderful? You just never know what you, as a link in the chain, are going to mean to the next person. Everybody's heard of Augustine. So if this is, here, here are some marvelous illustrations of this point. Everybody's heard of Augustine. St. Augustine, late 4th century theologian, Bishop of Hippo, arguably the theologian of the, the whole of the Western church. Who were the links in Augustine's story? Some of you may know that his mother was one of those links, Monica, who prayed for him. Some of you may know that Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, was a link for Augustine. You may know that Ambrose said of Monica, can the son of such tears be lost? A link in the chain. You all know the name Martin Luther. That's an important name. Do you know who the link was for Martin Luther? Johann von Staupitz, the vicar of the local Augustinian order, the one who heard Luther's endless confessions. Luther said of von Staupitz, had it not been for von Staupitz, I would have plunged into hell. Von Staupitz was the one who encouraged him to study the Bible. Von Staupitz is the one who encouraged him to pursue the doctor of theology. Von Staupitz is the one who encouraged him to take the chair of theology at Wittenberg, where Luther began his studies of the Psalms and of Romans and of Galatians, during which studies he came to understand the basis upon which a person truly could have peace with the living God, the finished work of Christ, plus nothing, his righteousness, his death, and faith in that. And Luther says, when he understood it, it was as though the windows of heaven opened up and the peace and blessedness of it all poured forth. Von Staupitz, George Whitfield. Everybody knows Whitfield made 13 trips across the Atlantic Ocean, preached in England, preached in the colonies. Revival broke out underneath Whitfield's preaching. Do you know who the link was for George Whitfield? A guy he never met, a man named Henry Skugel, who wrote a little book. Skugel died in his early 30s, but not before he wrote a little book called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. Whitfield in his journals talks about how he would sit with this book by Henry Skugel, The Life of God in the Soul of Man, and through it came to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Henry Skugel, dead in his early 30s. Scottish pastor, became a teacher in a theological college, contracted pneumonia, dead. But a link in the chain for Whitfield. What about Charles Spurgeon? Do you know this story? Everybody knows Spurgeon, this 
phenomenal preacher at age 20 years of age. At age 20, begins preaching at the old Park Street Church, has this incredible ministry for the next 30-plus years. Do you know this is such a grand story? Do you know who the link in the chain is for Spurgeon? Let me read this for you. This is from Spurgeon's autobiography. He writes, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. While I was going to a certain place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I'd heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads ache. But that didn't matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. And if they could tell me that, I did not care how much they made my head hurt. The minister didn't come that morning. He was snowed up, I supposed, and at, suppose. And at last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers should be instructed, Spurgeon writes, But this man was really stupid. He called him ignorant. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. (laughs) The text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words rightly, but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now look and don't take a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. I, said he, in his broad Essex, many of ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some of you say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. But you have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner. Look unto me. Look unto me. And Spurgeon writes, I saw it once. The way of salvation. From a tinker. From a tailor. From an uneducated man. A link in the chain. I know a John who knows another John. The one John is on death row in the state of Florida for murder. The other John was a furniture salesman. 
he went to the jail where the first John was being held and shared the gospel with him. And the first John became a Christian because of the words of the second John, the furniture salesman. Links in the chain. Folks, that's, that's what the gospel is about. It's about us. It's about me. It's about you. It's about us. Those of us who have been entrusted with the precious gospel of salvation, forgiveness, freedom, life in Christ, simply doing what that tinker did, simply doing what von Staupitz did, simply doing what Henry Skugel, to the best of his ability, did, simply doing what John did, telling him the truth about Jesus, not knowing where it might go from there. It's about people. It's about people taking seriously that they can be links in the chain. Let me suggest that you do this. There, there is a link in your chain. If you're a Christian this morning, there's, there's somebody right behind you. If you can, if there's a way to do it, let me encourage you this week to call that person and say thanks. Send them a note and say thanks. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot minimize the importance of means. God employs means. And God used somebody in your life. A parent, a neighbor, a friend, maybe a perfect stranger. But call him or write him. And if you can't, then take some time this week to thank God for him. God uses Real people. And real people go to real places, and we'll just deal with these last two things very quickly. Real people go to real places like Crete or to Nicopolis, which is probably the Nicopolis on the Adriatic, on the western side of the Greek Peloponnesus, just across from the heel of the boot of Italy. Probably there, a place Paul had not been before. This is the key thing. The gospel is entrusted to people who become links in the chain. And the gospel goes to places, real places, where there are more real people for whom Christ has died and whom God intends to hear the glad tidings of forgiveness and hope and freedom in Jesus Christ. The gospel goes to real places. Let me have you think about it in this way. Think about the person who is arguably the first missionary. We can debate this, but there's a sense in which Abram was kind of the first missionary. The first one entrusted with the hope of the gospel. The first one who is called out of his particular place to go to another place and to make a very long and very wonderful and very dramatic story short, basically what God said to him is, every place you plant your foot is going to be your land. Every place you travel is going to become your land. So walk all over this land from the north to the south, from the east to the west. And let me just remind you that what God was doing when he entrusted Abram with the hope of the gospel, when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and when he commissioned him to go to that place, God, through Abraham, was beginning his work 
of reclaiming not only a people, but he was beginning his work of reclaiming a place. And it started at that land where Abram marched from the north to the south and from the east to the west and where every place his foot landed, God through Abram was reclaiming it for himself. Remember that about history. Remember that about what's going on in the world. The fall means that everything is in bondage, under bondage to death. And when Abram goes to that particular place, God through Abraham is saying, I'm reclaiming it for myself. So every place that Paul went, and every place that Apollos went, every place Tychicus went, we don't know where he went, we don't know where Zenos the lawyer went, we don't know where Apollos went, any place that Titus went, whether we know where they went or not, every place they went, the soul's of their feet landed in real places and through them God was reclaiming not only people but places for himself. Did Abram see the full realization of the reclamation of that piece of real estate along the eastern Mediterranean? No, he didn't. Is he going to? Yes, he is. Did Paul see the full reclamation of all of those places that he went? No, he didn't. Will he? Yes, he will. Because the whole earth, in fact, the heavens and the earth, will be reclaimed by the king of glory. And he will transform them and renew them into a new heaven and a new earth. And every place the sole of your foot lands as a Christian is a place that God through you is reclaiming himself. That is so cool. That is a very big idea. And that is what Paul and the rest were engaged in with God, reclaiming the whole creation. And then the last thing, not only real people in real places, but real people in real places, doing really good things. And specifically in this text, the good thing of enabling Zenos and Apollos to go do their work with their needs being met. These Cretans, (laughs) these Cretans, got involved in the ministry of the gospel being extended to those places where Zenos and Apollos were going, providing we trust, have good reason to believe, providing liberally of their substance to send them on their way. The word that's used in verse 13, that's translated in verse 13 Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. It's a word that in its original meaning would mean to come alongside and to accompany someone. To come alongside and accompany. And that's what these Cretans did. They came alongside and out of their resources assisted them and enabled them to fulfill their mission their ministry of the gospel. 
One of the things we're going to look at next week in our quarterly town hall meeting is our budget for this next year. And you ought to know that we have sought to carve out a significant chunk of what we trust God will provide for us in 2008, specifically for the business of speeding 21st century zenuses, 21st century apollises on their way. That's our work to do our part with these who would go to carry the good news, the gospel of Christ, to real places so that real people will know the joy of the salvation that we have come to know. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that there are real people in our lives who have spoken the blessed words of life to us just as there were real people on the island of Crete and in Nicopolis and in these other places. Real people like Artemis and Zenos and Apollos. Lord, thank you that we now have been entrusted with this same great good news. I plead with you, O Lord. I plead with you that you would look with mercy upon us. Humble people, broken sinners, people not any smarter than the tinker who preached to Spurgeon, but people who sit before you, one who stands before you asking you that in mercy and kindness you would pour out upon us your spirit so that more and more we might be done with ourselves and might be means you would use not only in this county, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. Stir us up. Enable us, O Lord, to be in our day what the Cretans were in their day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing. Number 163, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Number one.